Welcome to the Tech Today podcast, powered by CEO Raider. It's your host, John Maeda. Let's kill two birds with one stone. Our two most recent Tech Today articles. And by the way, we have a new feature. So if you visit Tech Today, particularly if you visit on a laptop. We added sort of a trending feature so you can see which articles are, are most popular. That's in the right-hand margin. If you're scrolling through on a mobile phone, I can't remember off the top of my head where that appears. I believe it's at the, the bottom of the page. So we published the first article covers one that we published this evening entitled, The Fed Won't Change Its Position on Wednesday. There's really not any new thinking of ours in here. It's just what we've consistently been saying, that Powell and company will continue to run their inflationary policies to inflate away the debt. He'll talk of, uh, in Wednesday's press conference, he'll talk about Transitory inflation, he'll talk about most likely um, the low labor participation rate of, what was it, 61.6 in May, which was down a tenth of a point from April. So we're still near the trough in terms of labor participation, which is why I say it's a, uh, it's a rather weak economic recovery. Sure, we have spending because we've floated helicopter money to people into businesses. So they're spending, but we're not producing. And uh, we have too many people sitting at home collecting a a welfare check. So that it's hardly a setup for a strong economy. And as this rebound from the COVID trough starts to subside next year and further again in, in, in 2023, which is when you'll start to see normalized GDP. We believe real GDP will be essentially zero. I think uh, the Biden plan calls for uh, something between 1.8 and 2% real GDP from 2023, 2024, thereabouts through uh, 2031. And we believe inflation will persist through that period, and so therefore you have stagflation. So you can read more about that. And um, there was another couple of pieces we we, we put out there uh, early yesterday morning. And so uh, there's probably half a dozen articles we put out around macro-related content in the past four or five days. And then tomorrow morning, first thing, we put out a piece entitled, Investors Should Ask More of Their Management Teams. So that will come out Tuesday morning. And what we go on to say is that one of the great distortions caused by the joint fiscal and monetary policy of 2020 and 2021 is that equities and the lowest rated non-investment grade bonds are two of the all too rare places where investors may earn a return and as a result you know equities have been goosed over the past 14 15 months they were already trading at rich valuations 
in 2019, but now they're at nosebleed valuations. So there's a lot of room for equities to, to pull back. And it's not going to take much, in my view, uh, in the way of an interest rate increase to, to knock equities off of their pedestal. Um, as I've said in the past, you're not going to see interest rates go to where they were in the back when I was a, a hailed bond analyst. Fed funds rate was 5.5% uh, in the late 90s. 97, 98, 99. And obviously we could not afford that now, given where debt is. We, uh, the country could not afford to service the debt, the interest expense. But they'll come off of the, the, the floor. Fed funds is, I can't remember where it is off the top of my head, but it's you know basically at zero. So what we say in this article is that Management teams have received a, a, a pass, if you will, from investors, given that equities have largely been straight up since uh, April of 2020. And so you've got companies doing goofy acquisitions at goofy multiples, acquiring assets that don't make sense. Uh, and the one that we call out, we've called this out in the past, is Roper Technology, sticker ROP, where it's... Uh, you know, technically, it's an industrial company, and they do have a software unit. I think they have a good guy running the unit, but I think the guy running the company was probably not so great. Definitely not so great, in my opinion. They've got a compensation plan, in my view, that's that's geared toward uh, enriching the management team, and we talk about that in a separate article, uh, maybe published in early last year or late 19. If you run a query on Roper on our website, you'll find it. In any event, it's, it's one that rewards the company just for absolute EBITDA growth, right? So when, when, when that type of compensation plan passes the compensation committee, what ends up happening is you get a lot of short-term action in the way of M&A activity, whereby companies just are trying to roll stuff up. They're trying to find target companies that can goose EBITDA, which in turn will goose their compensation and their options packages and their restricted units and their performance restricted units and so forth, RSUs and PSUs. Um, whereas the proper thing to do would be to find companies that can drive, in terms of acquisition targets, that can drive long-term sustainable growth. And the one they acquired last year, they being Roper, was uh, Vertifor, which I looked at on the M&A side maybe eight, nine years ago. Uh, historically, Vertifor had always been sort of a, a no-growth revenue company in terms of organic revenue growth. And um, geez, it, it had a ton of debt. I don't remember what the number was off the top of my head when Roper announced this deal last year. I looked at the number on on Moody's and it was carrying a ton of debt. I don't know how much of that debt Roper paid down when they closed the deal and how much is, is still on the balance sheet. I just haven't looked. But that's clear, clearly an example where you're, where you, you're acquiring a, a sort of a legacy technology insure tech company that, albeit while, while it is sizable from a revenue and EBITDA standpoint, it's not terribly strategic. It's not going to drive long-term growth. It's not going to accelerate growth. 
It's going to be a drag on growth, frankly. And it's going to be a drag on profitability in the long term because you're going to have to uh, freshen or refresh the the software. I don't recall because I didn't, I wasn't interested in Invertiforce, so I, I I don't even know if I asked the question around. You know, if you looked at the portfolio of products, what, what what's what's the technology stack look like? Um, I don't know how much of Vertiforce sits behind a firewall. I don't know if it's all cloud these days. I don't know if you know what what cloud means exactly. Is it public versus private versus mixed? Whose servers does it sit on? I don't know any of that stuff. But I imagine a lot a lot of the architecture is still long in the tooth. And so this sort of gets back to what we've always said around why I founded CEO Raider. And a couple of the videos that I posted last week with uh, Liberty Media's John Malone. John Malone being Liberty's founder and chairman. And the, the piece I put up from um, Berkshire Hathaway's annual meeting back in, in May with Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger. Where, where Malone and Buffett separately talk about the management team as being the key element to a company's long-term success. Malone goes on about it in some detail for about a minute, and then Buffett talks about the management team, management teams in general, as uh, you know the primary risk of a company not working out over the long term. And how many times have I seen that as a uh, as an equity analyst and others with similar experience to me, whether you know, equity research analyst or um, private equity executive or venture executive, where you have a, a, a CEO who, you know, earned the spot on personality. You know, if we, look, if we think about my experience with technology companies and, and, and less so on merit or technology chops. And he or she works himself into the CEO chair and the company does poorly or it does okay but you have this issue of opportunity cost, right? Anytime you have a, a sort of an average CEO, there's always room for improvement. And that's what we say in this article here. Hey, although all these stocks have, have run over the past 14 months, from an operational standpoint, what have these companies done that's worthy to, to, to uh, deserve those valuations? So if you're, particularly if you're a large holder, be tough on these companies. Even if you have a good relationship on with them, you know what are they doing to uh, drive organic revenue growth? How do they reward their product managers and uh, their uh, technical staff uh, for building products that are easy for the sales force to to sell? So how do they incent organic revenue growth? How do they reward people? How's variable comp tied to organic growth? And how many people have compensation at risk that's tied to organic revenue growth? Is it just the ver- the, the various uh, general managers, business unit heads? Is it all the way down to the, to the front lines? Yeah, how often do they have opera views, these various companies, with their various business unit heads? to cover each business in detail. What's covered in those opera views? Do they even have them? So there's a whole slew of questions you could ask, 
particularly as a large holder when you talk to these companies, when you meet with these companies. And I just don't know. Frankly, it's a lost art. There's not a lot of institutional investors that would even know how to drill down and ask relevant questions as it relates to what companies are doing from an operational standpoint to drive uh, long-term operational success. But if you want help, turn to us. Send me an email, jmayetta at CEO Raider or info at CEO Raider, and we can help you there. That's all for now. See you next time.